Today's reading will come from Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And this is God's word. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? And they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Turn our attention to God's word, and let's ask for his help and guidance as we do. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you'll give us attentive minds and hearts to hear your word proclaimed, the truths that lie within. We ask that you'll sanctify us in the truth is your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. Now, have you ever known a person um, who commands the room? I mean, they walk in and you know they are there. As compared, you know, to the guy that you don't even know if he's in the room. Which is probably most of us. The entire mood changes you know, when they enter the scene. You know, and it's dependent upon the personality of the individual. It could be for the better. It could be for the worse. It could stir up excitement. It could stir up fear and panic. But they command the room. Jesus Christ had much more than that kind of effect when he entered a room. I mean, he had an enormous, powerful personality. And it drew many kinds of people in many kinds of situations. And it wasn't always an asset. As many times it drew upon his enemies. And here we see that very thing. The religious leaders ask the question of all questions. This is the question of life for everyone. Right here. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? Now, the main issue Mark has set out to declare and define since chapter 1 verse 1 of his gospel is the identity of Jesus Christ. One great dynamic he wants to grab our attention with is to see the distinction between those who get it and those who do not. This is what he's after. There are those who rightly recognize and understand, although at this point it is partial, Partial understanding. They'll fully understand after his resurrection. And there are those who will not see. They will not simply see who he is. 
Now, all of Mark's gospel is concerned with answering the question, who is Jesus and why should it matter to you and to me? So having been at this for 11 chapters, it's clear that Jesus interrupts our lives, beloved. He's an interrupter. He demands attention, and things are different when he enters the room. Things are different when he enters the ear gate. Things are different when he enters the mind. His meddling and his intrusion into our lives, um, though it is for our own good, most try to silence him. Remember what he said back in chapter 8, verse 34? Look at it on the screen. He called to him the crowd with the disciples, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever who loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Friends, that is authority that speaks of finality. That is a story, a authority that speaks of eternality. What he said right there in chapter 8. Now the rest of Mark... The final six chapters include the events of the Lord's last week on earth. Passion week. Chapters 11 through 16 together include one week. And the question of his identity and his authority comes to the forefront in a way that exceeds anything that we've seen thus far in the last week of his life. Friends, this passage is all about authority. Now, when I say the word authority, that word for some scares people. They don't like authority because authority can be abused. We think of authoritarianism. So people are afraid. Some think that authority comes from the devil. When in fact, beloved, as I said earlier, all authority comes from God. Those who refuse authority and they say, I'm, I'm not under anyone's authority, they become authority to themselves. But their authority is based on their own feelings, their passions, um, and their emotions. So it's, it's frivolous. It's folly. All authority in the world, whether it's the government, police, parents, Military is all delegated authority. From the head, from the fountain, God himself. Because no one has intrinsic authority. No one intrinsically has authority. No one has it in and of themselves. It comes from the creator. So when we don't like a situation or a conflict, we will typically say, who made you the boss? Who made you boss? Why are you calling the shots? By what authority are you doing these things? Speak up. Answer the question. It's a call for identification to be made. And this account is not only an historic indictment against the false teachers of the day who asked Jesus to define his authority. It is also for us a challenge to ask this question. By what authority is your life governed? By what authority, this is a question to ask yourself, by what authority is my life governed? Think about it as we work our way through the text. Now think about this. By what means do we as this local assembly, Pacific Hope Church, little church in Southern California, Okay, by, by what means do we move ahead as we gather as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, his church? What's behind the hymns we sing? 
What's behind the prayers that we pray, the Bible that we, we read and are here teaching, the, the order of service that we follow? Okay, what is behind it? What, what is behind the communion table we partake of once a month? I mean, do we do all of this religious church stuff as, as a crutch to lean on? Is that why we do it? You know, practices that kind of dull the pains of life so we show up on Sunday to feel good? Or is this, that which we do, founded on something, founded on someone profoundly true and eternally good? Truly good. Because it's shocking, beloved, that, that much of what people want to happen in the church setting here in our day is based on what makes them comfortable, what makes them feel good. And if something feels uncomfortable when they go visit a particular church, that all of the sudden becomes their standard of authority. Well, I don't like it there. It's too churchy. You know, it's too formal. And then in response, the church begins to make decisions based on, you know, what makes us look cool. How can we get people in here? We want to make Jesus look cool, so we got to look cool. So let's change up the things that we do. And then we'll submit ourselves to the preference of the attendee. Give people what they want. Okay, let me say this. What they want is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because that will ultimately become a matter of pleasing man and not God. And let me say as a reminder, which I do this every couple months, just for visitors to make you feel comfortable. <laughs> if you're church shopping, which is good, if you're, you're looking for a place for the truth to be declared where God is honored, um, just a reminder, this is not about you. So if you're looking to place for a place that's about you, you're in the wrong place. But stick out the hour and hear the word of God. Decide then. Now, times have changed, but people's hearts have not. People's hearts have not changed. Here now in the text, momentum is building towards the execution of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his final week. And what we're going to observe in the text is this. Number one, his authority being challenged. And then I want to close with looking at three spiritual evils of that challenge. Three spiritual evils of that challenge. And they are this, as follows. The evil of spiritual ignorance. The evil of spiritual arrogance. Spiritual ignorance leads to spiritual arrogance, and it results in spiritual dishonesty. Dare challenge Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Let's pick up the account. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple... Um, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Now remember, beloved, it was only yesterday in the narrative that we're reading that Jesus entered the temple and violently, violently attacked it, disrupting the commercial transactions that were taking place, and he turns tables over. He sends sheep and goats running down the corridors. And he obstructs religious life with words of judgment. That's what we saw. That was yesterday in the account. So here on the very next day, Jesus goes back to the scene of the crime, so to speak. And of course, what he did in the temple was no crime. What the religious leaders were doing was the crime. Jesus goes back to the scene of that crime. And Mark says here that, that he, was, he, was, he was walking, right? And as he was walking in the temple, Matthew, his account says that Jesus was teaching. So imagine Jesus is teaching while he's walking. Okay, Jesus is pacing back and forth. Luke, in his account, tells us he was preaching the gospel. So Jesus is walking back and forth, teaching, preaching the gospel. And the gang shows up. 
the chief priests, scribes, and elders came to him. Now, the chief priest was Caiaphas. Actually, his father-in-law, Annas, um, um, he was high priest, but he came down with some type of deathbed illness, but the dude didn't die. So he's kind of, you know, high priest retired. And here, Caiaphas is, is the, the active operator. So there's your chief priests, and gathered together with them are the PhDs of the day, the scribes, along with the ruling elders. Here they are, the gang. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? Now, they're probably more than a little surprised that Jesus shows up on the last day after you know, he was a one-man wrecking ball. He shows up. They're probably surprised. So uh, he's there so soon after this outburst. So they, they run up to him, and in effect, they say, who do you think you are? This is what they're saying. Who do you think you are? What right, what authority do you have to do what you did yesterday? Can you imagine this? You made a wreck of this place. Who are you? Where are your ordination papers? We didn't lay hands on you. You didn't receive your ordination through us. Where are your credentials? What right do you have to do what you did yesterday? That's the question. So being proud about their religious background, being proud about their credentials, being proud in how they're steeped in traditions that are all man-made, they're thinking this pseudo-rabbi carpenter from Galilee and from Nazareth of all places He's taken the world by storm. They're nervous because Jesus' authority intimidated them. They, it caused panic. And remember, this wasn't the first time that throughout Jesus' ministry uh, that often people were made either nervous or were all inspired by his authority. So let's do a little walk from Mark 1. I don't remember if I have these or not. There was an authority with his teaching, okay, in Mark chapter 1, verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I don't have these, I'm sorry. He had power and authority over the demonic realm. You'll remember in chapter 1 and verse 27, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, and that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, says Jesus. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And what did he do? He got up and he went home. Um, in Mark 4, we see that Jesus has authority over the elements, earth, wind, and waves. And filled with great fear were the disciples after he calmed the storm. They said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and sea obey him? So he has authority over the weather. We see in chapter 6 that Jesus had authority to give the disciples authority. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Authority. Now, everyone was aware and some deeply troubled by his authority. It was undeniable and it was uncontrollable, the authority of Jesus. So the leaders asked the question of all questions. Now, remember, they were concerned about his authority, and they, they, they accused him of having authority that came by way of the Beelzebub, the devil, Satan. So, who gave you this authority? Notice how he doesn't answer. He does not answer, well, I'm the embodiment of Yahweh. I'm God in the flesh. 
He, he doesn't even say, I'm Messiah. You know, I'm the son of God. He, he, he doesn't say, as R.C. Sproul comments, I wish he had said, said Sproul. You know, some of you are old enough to remember when I was 12. Remember when I was 12? Well, I was here confounding all of you, turning your teaching upside down. And about that time, at that time, I was about my father's business. And the other day when I turned this place upside down, I was about my father's business. I told you this is my house. So this authority is my father's authority. He didn't say that. Instead, Jesus turns another table. This is a metaphorical table. He turns the table on them. A counter confrontation. Notice verse 29. I'll ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. It's not a, it's not a wonder people shook in their sandals with Jesus. If you're his enemy. Answer me. Now this is a very rabbinical way of, to teach by the way to answer questions with a question. You all ask you one question, you answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. This is a common rabbinical practice. So the baptism of, of John, he asks about. Now the baptism, baptism of John engulfs John's entire ministry. Did John make this thing up? Or was it from heaven? That's his question. Now, John's entire ministry, beloved, as you well know, I hope, was to prepare people for the arrival of Messiah, to pave the way for the Lord. And you understand here that to answer that question correctly, you answer the question where his authority comes from. If you answer rightly, John's ministry was from God. I mean, John is the guy who was out there preaching. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not worthy to kneel down and unstrap his sandal. I must decrease. He must increase. You answer that correctly, you understand where his authority comes from. Look at John chapter 1. That I do have up there. Beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You want to talk about authority? The world was made through him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So here then, the, the, these respected scholarly infidels, these religious leaders of the Jewish world dared to question Jesus about his authority. So in their minds, it, admitting that he had no credentials from the religious leaders. In their mind, you know, if he was acting on his own authority, um, he might lose respect of the people. Whereas on the other hand, if he says that his authority comes from God, they could charge him with blasphemy. So attempting to impale him on the horns of a dilemma, the dilemma is now theirs. So they huddle up. They put their blockheads together here. And rather than considering that he's from God, they already assume he's not. 
they take a poll. They say, if we say yay or nay, we're toast. Verse 31, and they discussed with one another saying, hmm, you know, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, notice, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet, that is the people. So they answered Jesus, you know, we don't know. Luke adds that they were afraid that the people will stone us to death if we deny John in his ministry. They'll stone us, so I don't know. This this sounds like it took place in Washington, (laughs) D.C. Right here. You know, people like this are always motivated by either the, the, the favor of or the fear of people. Their motivation comes from the fear or favor of people. And here they are. You know, the man who stands at a place like this at a pulpit and dares to hold back the truth of God for fear or favor of the people is a false teacher and a deceiver of your soul. Don't ever forget that. Say they ask, this is their question. What will popular opinion let us get away with? Hmm. Not not what is true, but what is safe? What's safe? Charlatans. So rather than believe the truth of God and lose their position, rather than acknowledge the truth of God and lose their influence, their rank and their religious position as leaders of Israel, they'd rather lie and go to hell. Frightening. Now remember what they were motivated by. You remember? Envy. Pilate recognized when they delivered Jesus up that they delivered him up because of envy, Matthew 27. Envy was their motivation, and the flip side of envy's coin is vanity. Pride. Pride breeds envy towards anyone who might outdo me. So pride will express the envy that is within eventually, especially if you hold some particular position. Because they think, you know, people need to be paying more attention to me. He has bigger crowds than I do. They have a bigger congregation. This happens with pastors too, it's sad. Well, he has a bigger crowd. What can we do to whip things up a little bit? Beat the guy down the street. Oh, please. Zip your lip and preach the truth. Amen? Preach the word. Because humility rejoices in the success of another. If he's speaking the truth, that is. So jealousy, here's the difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy desires what another has. Envy resents the good of another. Well, if, 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 if I can't have it, Let me make sure that he can't have it either. Envy. So they answer, "Ah, we don't know. Jesus says, fine, fine. Verse 33, and Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, Jesus follows that with a parable that begins in chapter 12, verse 1. And notice, he began to speak to them in parables. Now, this all goes together. We don't have time to look at this parable today. We'll save that for next Lord's Day. But chapter 12, chapter 12 begins with a parable of judgment against the rulers. Okay, and then it's followed by three different conversations. One targets the Pharisees, the other the Sadducees, and the other one, the scribes. So he gets them all. 
all those who make up the Sanhedrin. Three particular parables against them that indicts them. Remember what Jesus said about parables back in chapter 4? Look at it, verse 11. To you, those on the inside context, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Riddles. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So this parable, as well as the others, beloved, serves as a judgment that seals them in their unbelief. Sovereign judgment. Let me say this. Jesus never, Jesus never turns away an honest seeker. One who truly from the heart inquires of Christ, he doesn't turn away. The ones he turns off and gives riddles to are those who do not understand and they do not want to understand. Question, do you want to understand? People listen online, so I throw this stuff in there for them as well. Now remember, beloved, these religious leaders over the course of three years, this isn't the first time they've heard from Jesus. You had rabbis and scribes and Pharisees spread throughout Israel. And Jesus spoke with them on many occasions, and never did they come to Jesus to find out the truth from God. We might have one account with Nicodemus, and we know Nicodemus turned out to be a believer. They didn't want to know the truth, and that's the nature of false religion. You don't want to know truth. I'm comfortable in what I know and what I feel, and I'm staying right here. Don't bother me with the details. Right? Okay, that leads us to these three spiritual evils. The first spiritual evil we see is is spiritual ignorance. Spiritual ignorance. So you have these highly trained, this scholarly group of elite men viewed by the people as a fountainhead of knowledge. Okay, now remember, beloved, that they had the scriptures memorized, categorized, and cataloged. They had broadened out their phylacteries, these boxes that you strapped to your forehead and your arm that held scriptures within them, and they would broaden them out. They weren't even commanded in the old covenant law to do that. They just took something that was symbolic language and they turned it into a, a wooden literal interpretation. To have the word on your mind. You fool. So they made these boxes, and Jesus said, Notice in Matthew 23 5, I don't have this, but remember when Jesus said this? You know what they do? They do their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad. So having the scriptures memorized, categorized, and cataloged, they had no idea what the scripture meant by what it said. Be careful about people who boast in their ability to recite a bunch of scripture and they don't know the meaning of it. You know, you don't have to stand there, oh, they know so much scripture. So what? Do you know what it means by what it says? They could tell you historic facts about scripture, They could tell you uh, prophecies regarding Messiah, where he would be born, for example. You remember this? In in Matthew 2, when the Magi come from the east, where is he born king of the Jews? Where is he born king of the Jews? All of Israel, all of Jerusalem are terrified. Herod's terrified. All of Jerusalem's terrified. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is Christ to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Oh, go ahead and recite your scripture. But they couldn't tell you who he was.
frightening, isn't it? Imagine these are your spiritual leaders. You, 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 you want to ask Jesus about his authority? Who do you think you are? So spiritual ignorance, beloved, a little application, teaches us not only will Almighty God hold everyone accountable on the day of judgment for everything that they have heard, and in this context, despised, I'm not talking about the believer, people who've gone to church all their life, they hear it, they hear it, they hear it, deep down they despise it, that's the key here, they will also be held accountable for everything they could have heard but were not willing to hear it. This is danger zone, man. You know people that have been lifelong church attendees that are unregenerate? You just have to listen to them. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe the gospel. They don't believe Jesus is the only way. Guess what? They're not saved. Truth is relative. There's many roads that lead to God. They dare say that. They're not a Christian. They're accountable before God and will remain accountable before God for what he or she should have and could have known. Spiritual ignorance. Willing ignorance that walks away from the light that God has provided in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, to whom all authority has been delegated in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, many people have the blessed privilege of having their minds ministered to being in a gospel-centered church and they forsake the gathering. You know, they're, oh, we'll go next week. Eh, we'll go next month. Oh, we'll go next Christmas. We'll go next Easter. Well, we'll go to the next wedding. We'll go to the next funeral. Beware, it may be your own. I can't say beware to you because you come to church all the time, but and love the word, I presume. They'll all be held accountable for what they have heard and could have heard. You know, a lot of people will grow up, and I've heard people say this, young people grow up in the church, <clears throat> and they know Jesus' teaching <clears throat> given to the Pharisees that greater will their condemnation be because they had been given more. To whom much is given, much is required. So, these young people will flee from the church. I don't want to be accountable, so therefore I won't go. You're accountable for what you could have known and what you already know. Apostasy. Turning away from what you once professed. Also, those who teach and preach holding back. You know, a lot of preachers will insert methods and messages that are anything but God's word. They have given themselves as well as their congregations over to compromise and judgment. That's what these are, men are doing. These were the leaders of Israel. They were supposed to be pointing people to God, his truth, his gospel. And they asked Jesus to throw his credentials on the table. Are you kidding me? Preachers who don't know God, and there are many, preachers who don't know God, don't preach God, are the most dangerous people in the world, church shoppers. Look at what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. You know what you're supposed to be, hearers of the word? Fruit inspectors. So that you can rightly identify false teachers. For many, many will cry out in the last day. Jesus goes on to say, Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Though you claim to know me, you call me Lord. Now, this kind of spiritual ignorance leads to spiritual arrogance. Spiritual arrogance. Here's a group of men pretending to do God's service. They dare challenge the incarnate God himself about his authority. Now remember, they couldn't deny his doctrine. They couldn't make any of their false accusations stick. All they could do was challenge his authority. Who sent you? We didn't lay hands on you. How dare you come into the house of God and set things in order? We're the priests, we're the scribes. In their vestments, their extra long tassels, 
There are special collars and funny hats. They're bogus rings. So moved by jealousy, envy, arrogance, and pride, not the least bit motivated by the glory of God or for the glory of God, but only concerned by what the the people will say. What will the people say? What, what, What will they do? I mean, we've been in this position for a long time. They might take away my pension. I mean, I only have just a a couple years left in this denomination, and I'm set for life. It happens. Spiritual arrogance. This kind of ignorance leads to this kind of arrogance. You know, nothing makes a lost religious man that's the context here, a very religious man, more arrogant, insecure, envious, or malicious than the sight of another man doing what he would not dare to do, and that is to preach and proclaim the the gospel of Jesus Christ unapologetically. It scares him to death, and in his arrogance, his envy, his insecurity, he goes on the attack. I grew up surrounded by men who were longtime ministers. They were unregenerate. They didn't believe the gospel. So when you would come and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, it infuriates them. Here they are, the gang. The gang. So regarding John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist. Remember the guy making all the noise out in the wilderness? Daring to call us a brood of vipers. You remember him? Jesus said, tell me about him. Was he from God? Or did he make all this up? You see, John's baptism called all of Israel, including her religious leaders, to come out and to be baptized with the heart of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and preparation for the Messiah. But going out there and into the waters was below their dignity. What do we have to repent of? Repent? We're Israel's spiritual leaders. And you know what? We, we, we can trace our lineage back to Abraham. One problem. What didn't they share in with Abraham? His faith that says... He believed God. Abraham believed God. These men didn't believe God. So spiritual, willful ignorance produces spiritual arrogance, and it results in spiritual dishonesty. Spiritual dishonesty. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from God? From God or from men? They didn't for a moment consider the truth. You know, if we say from God, we'll be forced to acknowledge his authority. That His authority comes from God. If we say from man, people are going to throw us out of office. So let's throw the agnostic card out on the table. We don't know. Agnosticism <laughs> means you're an active ignoramus. That's where the word comes from, ignoramus. Agnostic. I don't know. We can't know. Yes, you can. You don't want to. You don't want to. So liars is what they are, and now they indict themselves. They confront Jesus regarding his authority. Jesus counters the result, their own condemnation. Condemned. Verse 33b. Jesus said, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Friends, you never want to be in the position where Jesus says, I'm through talking to you. I'm done intruding. I'm done meddling. I have said all that I'm going to say. I am done. All you will hear from me now are riddles. Parables that you will not be able to make sense of. 
You've condemned yourselves. I'm done. Then he drops the mic. (laughs) So, friends, the question cannot escape us. What do you do with Jesus? By what authority does he say what he says and, and, and do what he does? By what authority does he meddle in your life and meddle in your mind and intrude upon your heart? That's for you to answer. If you ignorantly, arrogantly, dishonestly say, well, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I'm still investigating. Beware of the day he stops intruding. You don't, friends, you do not want to be in a point in your life where you are comfortable pushing Jesus off. You're in danger. Now, in response to that frightening truth, many people will say this. All right, tell me what to do. So they go to an evangelistic crusade. Okay, I hear it. Come forward. Okay, I'll come. Raise my hand. Okay. Sign a card. Okay. And in in saying, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. Look. No one is justified by raising a hand. No one is justified by signing a card saying, I promise to follow Jesus. Nobody. The ones who are saved are those who actually follow Jesus. Okay, now let me add this to close. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see the parable of the tenants that follow. Amen? You you, you see it right here in Mark chapter 12, which we'll, as I said, we'll look at um, next Lord's Day. Um, You see it also in Luke's account. And Matthew also covers it, of course. But Matthew adds something that happens immediately after this confrontation that, that Mark and Luke do not include. So let me wrap up with it. Matthew chapter 21. Notice immediately after this confrontation what Jesus says. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You see this? So you look at this and you have to ask, which of these are you? The one who promises but never does? Or the one who may recoil at the moment but eventually does? Does what? Follow Jesus. Ideally, when the Father calls, we say, I'll go, and we go. But that's not always the case with most of us. But to say, I will follow and serve you, I'll sign the card, I raise my hand, I'll come forward and never get up. I'm not talking about getting up from your seat, I'm talking about getting up in life and following Christ. You will miss him just like these leaders did. Danger. Danger. Some who hear my voice right now, who rather than bowing down before the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you this, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. Because if you sit and you say to yourself, you know, this gospel stuff, I, 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 I just don't get the whole thing. Okay, let me give it to you simple. How difficult is it to understand someone taking your place? 
How difficult is it to understand someone taking your place? Jesus came out of heaven, the son of God, took the place of his people before almighty God, satisfying justice and providing righteousness by dying on the cross, bearing the wrath of God the Father, the wrath you deserve. Is that difficult to understand? If it is, you're a liar. It takes the supernatural revelation of God to reveal that truth, and it comes by way of his preaching, the gospel. So the hope is, if you're not in Christ, that he'll lift the veil, and today you understand and embrace the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus. So let me close with this. The authority embodied by Jesus the authority that meddles, the authority that intrudes is authority that bleeds. It's authority that gives itself up. It's authority that lays itself down. He laid down his life in order to free and to forgive and to secure for all eternity the souls of those who believe. His authority bled. manifested in the tender mercy of God the Father who sent his son to crush him, to set you free. You say you don't get that? We don't know. We don't know. Because this father who shows tender mercy raised his son from the dead, validating in the fullest sense Christ's absolute authority. You get it? Therefore, Jesus could say, all authority has been given to me in heaven, above and earth below. Go therefore and preach this message. And the only proper response is to bow the knee and embrace him and walk by faith and not by sight. And one day you will see him by way of sight with a glorified bodies, a body just like his. Don't say we don't know. Now you're accountable. Christian, rest in the fact that this authority bled for you and his blood covers you. Amen? Rest in that, rejoice in that, and give thanks to him for that. Father, we do thank you. We praise you for the gospel. We praise you for this account. We thank you for the authority of Jesus. We thank you for the firmness of our Lord, the gentleness and the mercy of our Lord. And we do thank you, Father, that you sent him to crush him so that we could be set free, given eternal life, by saying, we do know who sets the captive free. And it's our Father sending his Son, residing in us, by the way of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.